listening to Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was the tradition of Horace Mann Junior High that when you were to try out for the concert choir, the ninth grade concert choir, that the ninth graders would all sit up there and the eighth graders would come and sing for the ninth graders. I think it qualifies as cruel and unusual punishment. But it's how they did it. And so, everybody wanted to be on concert choir. It was the cool choir. It was the choir where you got to wear the red cummerbund and the tuxedo shirt and the red bow tie. And you got to sway a little bit while you sang where the other choir, you had to stand like this. So everybody wanted to be in the cool choir. So there it was, all the ninth graders were up there and the eighth graders were coming in to try out. It was the year that Tiffany came out with that song, I think we're alone now. It doesn't seem to be anyone around. Remember that one? So every little girl tried out with the exact same song. I think we're alone now. I think we're alone now. Ah, I got old quick. (laughs) And I sang, and I did my part, and I guess I did well enough. But then in comes Grover. We all know a Grover, don't we? Grover wore the same red sweatpants almost every day to school. Grover smelled a little bit probably didn't bathe every day. Grover had 
a glass eye. I'm not making this up. Grover didn't quite socially get it. He was what we might call a little annoying. Grover was raised by his grandma, and his grandma called him Peanut. Grover made the mistake of telling junior high kids that his grandma called him Peanut. So we all called Grover Peanut. He hated it. I remembered one story last night that I'd forgotten on talking to my wife about Grover, where one time he missed his bus to go back into downtown Tampa, and so he slept on a bench out in front of the junior high all night. That was Grover. So in walks Grover. And Grover begins to sing. Guess what? Grover could sing. He really could. I mean, the moment that he began to sing, we all knew that there was no way that Grover couldn't be on the cool choir. Grover had to be invited. Now, I don't want to oversell it. He wasn't Pavarotti, but he could definitely sing. So it was that some week later, two weeks later, that I was sitting on the wall at the kids' pickup that we all like to sit on while we waited for mom or dad or friend to pick us up, and I'm sitting there, and down plops next to me, Grover. And I say, hello. And we sit there together, close to each other for a little bit waiting, when my mom pulls up in the car. And when I hop off the wall, Grover hops off the wall with me. And I think, hello? (laughs) And I walk over to the car and Grover walks with me. And there's my mom saying, come on, Grover. Come on, time to get in the car, let's go. So Grover got into the car with me in front of all my friends. I was mortified. I mean, this was social suicide. I knew the next week I would not hear the end of the fact that Grover got into the car with me. So we drove out of there, me kind of like this, as I drove along, got all the way home, and we went inside, and my parents said, well, why don't you guys go outside and play while we finish getting dinner ready? And I said, Mom, Outside is where outside is. (laughs) I'm not going to go out there. And they said, no, just go outside and play. So I found two mitts and a ball, and Grover and I went into the front yard, and we, I guess we were playing catch. And and I knew it was going to happen, and it did. The next thing you know, kids on bicycles were coming back and forth on the street in front of me, like sharks swimming, ready to bite. I lived on a cul-de-sac. There was no need for them to be going back and forth, but I know that they were riding by going, what's Grover doing there? It was time for dinner and we went inside to eat. And I remember this, I remember sitting down and eating and you could tell that Grover probably wasn't used to eating with people all the time or being taught manners at a table, the way he held his fork, the way he used his fingers, the way he chewed with his mouth open. And I'm mortified, but my mom is going, sure, Grover, would you like some more? Here's some more food. Go ahead. Let's eat. Finally, 
My mom says to Grover, why don't you go upstairs and take a shower and we've got some clean clothes for you. So Grover does, he goes upstairs and I'm left to do the dishes and to help pick up and thing up. And I'm just sort of steaming and fuming about this and wondering why is this happening to me? When down comes Grover, clean, but wearing my clothes. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, Grover's wearing my clothes. And she's like, I know he needed clean clothes and your clothes were the clothes that were available and you don't wear those anymore and he need, we needed to send him home and something, so here's some clean clothes from him. Of course he can wear them. I could not figure out what's going on until this moment. It was then that my mom said, okay, time to get in the car. So we hopped in and we drove back down towards downtown Tampa and I remember somewhere near the stadium, we got to the reason why Grover came home with me. We ended up at the tuxedo shop where we would be measured and fitted for our red cummerbund and our tuxedo shirt and our red bow tie. Grover was with us so that he could have the same stuff that the rest of us did in concert choir. He got suited and fitted and so did I and there were other kids there all being suited and fitted at the same time. Finally we left and we started to drive Grover home into Tampa and as we drove deeper into deeper into Tampa we started going into that place that made me and my rich white suburban comfortableness less comfortable and more comfortable as we drove deeper deeper into Tampa until my mom using Grover to help us get home saying, well, do we turn here? Do we turn here? And this was before Google. And so we finally got to a corner and Grover said, you can just let me off here. And my mom said, no, you can, we can, you can have us drop you off wherever you, we can take you home. We can drive you all the way home. And he got visibly agitated and he said, no, 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 no. Drop me off here. Drop me off here. I want to be dropped off here. So we opened the door and Grover got out and I remember he sort of just bolted down the street. And so we close the door and we make the U-turn to make our way back to our comfortable suburban lives. And I turn to my mom and I say something along the lines of like, why did you make me do this? Why, why am I doing this? This wasn't fair. You're giving away my stuff. You didn't ask my permission. Why are you making me do this? And my mom said something to me that I remember very clearly. She said, you do this because you're my kid. And that's what my kid does. You see, she could have talked about all of this in terms of economic justice. She could have talked about a, a person in need and our ability to help. She could have talked about all of these things, about some way of, of talking about systems and class and all, but no, it had everything to do with identity, about who I was to know myself. Because I'm a gambler, and gamblers help. Gamblers reach out. Our entire lesson today is about hospitality. Jesus talking about how are we hosts, how are we guests? And all of it comes to that word humility. Now humility has a bad ring for us. We tend to think of humility as thinking 
less of ourselves, of thinking that you're bad or not good enough, or it's, it's thinking poorly of yourself. But that's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is knowing your place, knowing who you are, knowing how you fit into the world. To come with pride and arrogance and to assume that everyone is honored because you came to their house, well, that's not humility. It's pride, it's arrogance. And that's what I learned from Grover that day. You see, I would have thought that Grover was honored to eat at my house. That Grover was honored to come and to be fed at our table. That Grover was honored to be able to come and hang out with the kid who's on the stage and in the sports teams. That, that Grover was honored to wear clean clothes. That Grover was the one who was honored. But I learned that day the opposite. I was humbled that day. I was reminded that I was honored to have Grover at my table that I was honored that Grover would wear my clothes, that it was my honor to, to butler him, to chauffeur him to the places he needed to go. That was my honor, not his. I didn't know my place, but I know it now. I had to be humbled from my exalted position. We've been on this series called Shift. And so much about who we are needs to address that shift in us. To change the way in which we see the world and see ourselves. We tend to hear, think so highly of ourselves. But the ones who truly deserve honor are in Haiti. They're the ones who are honored, who are hungry and being fed. The ones in India whom Pastor Titus is bringing together, whether they're Christians or not, and feeding bowls full of rice, they're the ones who are honored. The people coming to stay in our building next week, they're not honored to be here. It is our honor to extend a hand of dignity and respect and to say to them, we're so glad that you could stay at our house, that you could stay with us. How, how is it that we get to entertain angels? That we get to entertain angels in our building. We will have a building full of angels. It's about us shifting our perspective and seeing ourselves in a new way that we we are to be humbled and to not assume pride and arrogance, but to be humble. That is the way of Jesus. This is the model that Jesus gives us. This is how Jesus did life. He humbled himself and raised everyone around him. And if we don't live, work, act, be in that way, then I invite you to meet Jesus.
That's where Jesus is calling us to be. So why are you here? Do you deserve to be here? Is it our honor that you showed up today? No, I think you were the one that Jesus was talking about when you invite somebody to eat with you. You think you're the guest of honor, but you're the broken. You're the poor. You're the hurting. You're the ones that are frustrated. You're the ones that are struggling. You're the ones who are living in doubt and fear. That's, that's us. Because when we're brought to this table, we don't come here because it's a deserves. We come here because even you are welcome. Even you, broken, foolish, simple, hurting you, are welcome to this table. Guess what? Even you get to invite people to your tables, to humble yourself, to welcome them into your homes, to begin to consider those children sleeping on concrete slabs with no heat and no blanket, and to think from their perspective, what is it like to be them? To remember them as if we were the ones in that place. To remember we are there. You are invited into a life of empathy. That's the way of Jesus. To be humbled. To know who you are. There was a man who knew that. Knew that story well. He was a slave trader. He bought and sold flesh. He murdered as he kicked slaves off of his boat when they got too sick. And he could not believe that there would ever be a God who loved him. But he learned the way of Jesus. And he learned the way that God invites everyone. That this word grace that we throw around so handily and easily, that it's a real thing. That grace, that gift invited even him to the table. Even him. And learning his place, he spent the rest of his life living in the basement of a church on his hands and knees, every day washing the floors and taking care of the church for free, simply out of a life of humility and knowing his spot. He was amazed by that grace, so he wrote a song about it. He wrote a song about what it meant to be free, to be lost, to be found to be able to see again after being blind. He sings that song, but it's our song too. It's where we all are. It's who we are. Amazed by the grace that invites even us to this table so that we can invite the world to our own. If you'll pray with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. Amen.